Hey folks, this is the Contextual Insurgent Podcast, and I'm your host, Aaron Smith. I'm an activist, an analyst, a writer, and a sensemaker. I'm a Republican, a former SFGOP Central Committee Delegate, where I was the Deputy Vice Chair of Communications. As California GOP endorsed State Senate candidate, where I managed to win 11% of the vote in San Francisco, which, trust me, is better than average. I've also been involved with the firearms community and Second Amendment rights. I was on the cover of Time Magazine in November of 2018 for the Guns in America issue. But I'm probably best known for my free speech activism and facing off with the hard lefties like Antifa in California and the Pacific Northwest since 2017. The general topic of this podcast series will be politics in the current culture war as seen from my unique, rather hands-on experience and knowledge. But I also intend to include a practical element focused on giving you the conceptual tools to build towards true grassroots, nonviolent political change. You may have noticed lefties usually seem to get what they want regardless of how elections go. I want to help you change that. You can also sign up for my Substack newsletter at contextualinsurgent.substack.com. I have a weekly newsletter that looks back at some of the highlighted stories of the week and gives you some feedback and analysis of what's happening. If you'd like to support my work, I have a Patreon at patreon.com backslash eesmith4. That's the number four. I also have a cash app at dollar sign eesmith4. Again, that's the number four. For the cost of a mocha frappuccino once a month, you can support my work, which is ultimately about helping you. Howdy, everybody. It is March 16th, and this is going to be Daily Dispatch number 14. Before I dive off in today, I want to just look back at where we've been and where I started and just kind of talk about a few different things. Um, One thing that when you start doing this, you can follow your raw numbers. Like I started this the end of October, writing and podcasting. I never podcasted before. Granted, I'd done some live streaming, and I had written for a couple different outlets. So starting to do this stuff regularly, like, you know, you have to experiment and work with your workflow, and I'm kind of getting to a point where I feel like I'm getting content kind of going. I'm getting in the habit of of turning out fairly regular content. And yeah, I've watched my following and my reach increase over that time. You know, there's been some boosts, like, around... Like immediately after the election and like the January 6th and like after the inauguration, I've had some jumps in following. And still, you know, the thing that's interesting about that is raw numbers only tell you part of the story, you know, because, you know, one, not everyone exactly is really in the same place or doing the same thing or has the same, you know, influence in their own respect. So you're always kind of wondering, it's like you look at the numbers and you're wondering like who's actually following and listening and is anyone out there actually implementing this and you know I've had people reach out to me and I I do coordinate with folks that are working on some of the stuff I talk about so I've been fairly pleased with that um but there it's sort of interesting too is because you know is is there any big people listening you know am I being followed by anyone that has significant influence or or um working on their own things and like I actually kind of had an answer the other day it's pretty interesting I'm not going to out this person um, I've had someone before that's got a pretty significant following, and you know he has shared some of my stuff before um, on Twitter, and he goes on a lot of shows, YouTube shows, um, and Fox News and other places, and talks about this stuff. And it's interesting. He's on a, he's on a YouTube show a few days ago, a very well known YouTube show. Um, if I mentioned it, you would know who it is. You would mention you would know you would immediately recognize it, let's just put it that way. So he's on there, and they're talking about a lot of the stuff um, that I talk about. 
and it's fairly interesting because I know he's shared some of my stuff and has used some of the terms that I've used and he spent about a four or five minute clip where he's explaining a concept and he's using the exact same examples that I have used in some of my podcasts and used the exact same terms and it was pretty wild to listen to it because this is someone who's you know out there working really hard and has a growing and fairly influential profile and he's basically channeling me for about five minutes and so that was kind of flattering and really cool and I'm not going to out him, but I just want to say you know, it's really cool that you're listening to my podcast and, and sharing my stuff and feel free. Um, you know, this stuff is bigger than any one person. And I'm not like the important thing for me is that the stuff I talk about and then I push is getting implemented and people are listening. And feel free as you move forward to, to work with this stuff and, you know, push my concepts and the stuff you hear from me. That's pretty awesome. I'm pretty honored to see it. So moving on to what I'm talking about today. There's a couple of things I want to cover. We're going to talk about, you know, there's there's been the deal where the Washington Post retracted some claims that came out right around New Year's and like late December about some of Trump's statements. Um, it turns out that, you know, there was anonymous sourcing that said these things and then he made some claims. Um, and all that blew up over the last couple of days. We're also going to cover some of the actions from the military over the last few days and like especially the one the not just what the happens with is happening with Tucker but I also want to cover some of the things I saw last year that were kind of a warning sign and I think I've, I've mentioned some of this in the past but we're going to go over this again uh, I'm also going to talk about some other things you know put I'm going to put those ideas together and we're going to talk about what this means moving forward in the future <clears throat> so you may have noticed that like yesterday Washington Post well Let's go back to December. Um, There's a lot of irregularities in Georgia, and Trump was pressing Georgia very hard and to try to get them to search much more thoroughly and, you know, find some of the irregularities that he believed were there. Um, so there were several different phone calls that were made. You, you may have, you probably have been aware of the one that happened with the Secretary of State where they released the audio, like right around New Year's, I think it was, or like a couple days after. Um, they released the audio of the discussion with Trump and the Secretary of State. Um, that was sort of interesting because they released the audio in a transcript, but of course, very few people were going to listen to like, you know, 30, 40 minute phone call uh, or even read the transcript. Like, I read very quickly, I read the transcript in like five minutes. Um, most people read slower, but most people are not going to do that. So the media took some of the quotes out of context and, and mischaracterized what was said. And then when you read the whole thing or you listen to the whole tape, it, it's really clear that the meaning was a little bit different from what um, the way they tried to present it. Um, and that's one of the things they do. Is they, they, in my opinion, that they mischaracterized what was said in that discussion with the Secretary of State. You know, Trump's like... They tried to make it sound like Trump was like, you know, I need, I just need ten thousand votes. And the way they made it, he, made, the way they made him appear was that he was asking for ten thousand votes to be manufactured. That wasn't like it. If you read the context of the statement, Trump was, Trump says, you know, we, we think there's four hundred thousand irregular votes here, and there's only like ten thousand votes separating the two candidates. You know, that's. I mean, he didn't actually use this number, but like that's 2.5% of the ones that they believe are fraudulent or suspect. He's like, if there's, even if 2.5% of these or 10,000 of these ballots are, you know, fraudulent or inadmissible, 
that's enough to swing the election. He's like, you know, you have a duty to, to start looking at this stuff. And, he, and he's saying that 10,000 vote number, but they trim that out. So he says, all I need is 10,000 votes. And they make it sound like Trump is trying to, he's like, hey, I need you to go out and like forge 10,000 votes when he's saying like, no, I just need, you know, if 10,000 votes, it was more of a, in context, it was clear that the meaning was different from the way the media was trying to present it. They were mischaracterizing what he's saying. And like Trump's the kind of guy too. Trump kind of misspeaks a lot. You know, he, he kind of, yeah, I guess we all do it from time to time, but Trump, Trump's not the most precise speaker. But I think when you read that in context, that that they were very clearly mischaracterizing what he was saying. Um, that's the one everyone is familiar with. That was the biggest drama. There was another one that was very similar. This was the one where Trump is speaking to the lead investigator for Georgia of the Elections Commission. And there was no audio released on this. Um, it was an anonymous source that told the Washington Post that Trump said, you can be a hero. You know, I, I, I need, what did he say? It's like, I need you to be a hero. You know, I need you to find votes. And it was basically very, they, they basically said the same thing. It was an anonymous source um, that made a bunch of claims about what Trump was said. and But they did not release the audio from that one. And what happened was, it turns out that they actually recorded that call as well, but they tried to delete it. And because whoever, they were an idiot, they took the recording, put it in the trash bin on a laptop, and forgot to delete it. So there's like a Freedom of Information Act, and like looking at the computers, and they find this recording of this of this phone call, and that got released. And it turns out everything that they said in that call, it was... They completely made up what Trump was saying, and Washington Post actually retracted it. Um, there was, and the, the ironic thing about it is, um, there was a bunch of other people that you know, like CNN and all these other media outlets that uh, said that they, you know, had double checked as well, and that they had confirmed the contents of the statements. So Trump was being attacked for that, and that 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 particular claim was actually used in the impeachment trial. And it turns out everything was completely fabricated. It was an anonymous source that told someone they never actually listened to the tape themselves, or if, or if they did, they went along with the lie. So, yeah, and this is something that's re really, really common. It's like, the, you know, it used to be the media, and I guess they still, on, on paper, they talk about using these anonymous sources and they have a bunch of strict rules about it. If you remember the um, Slate Star Codex, Scott Alexander drama, you may not be into Slate Star Codex, or you may not have been a follower. It's a really cool, like, rationalist blog that, you know, from a psychiatrist from, like, the Bay Area. Uh, now he now he, he moved to Substack, and now he's under, like, Astral Codex 10. Um, but it's a really interesting blog to follow. Really tr intriguing, like, non-traditional way of thinking. It's, it's rationalist, so they're very... I'm not a rationalist myself, but they're people that really like to, you know really dig into like the scientific method of trying to understand what's going on in the world so you, you learn a lot of really interesting stuff anyway you know a little bit of a tangent there um what happened was you know last year they were going to try to the new york times says we're going to you know release we're going to write a story about you but we can't let you be anonymous we can't let your um we can't leave your name out you know we can't hide your name and he had to delete his whole blog because he was afraid they were going to try to go after him so it's really interesting because they they'll use anonymity in a way that you know they have they claim they have all these rules around it but it's very obvious that they just if they if they don't like someone that they'll use anonymous sourcing for it 
And this is what happened, you know, they, they supposedly had all this verified fact-checking, anonymous sourcing, and it turns out it was all crap. It was a bunch of lies. Um, the claims were wrong. They had to write a 140-something word retraction in the Washington Post about this whole story. And there's been a lot more of this. Like, you may remember, another two examples of this are the D-Day Cemetery story that Trump... Supposedly, there was a claim, like, in 2018, when he was in Europe... Um, he was going to go, they wanted him to go, he was on the agenda to go see, like, a D-Day cemetery and, like, pay his respects to American service people that were buried there. And he, the claim, this was in the Atlantic in, like, the end of 2019, claimed that Trump called them losers and he had no intention of going and seeing them. And it was a big, massive drama around that. And that turned out to be crap, too. That was anonymous claims. Like, it was just, like, you know, the Atlantic had no one on record that claimed that happened. And and the ironic thing is there was at least two different verifiable um, records that showed that was a lie. See, it turns out there was a Freedom of Information Act uh, request that showed that it had the emails and the communications that showed that the real reason that Trump, um, Trump it wasn't even Trump's decision to cancel that trip, like it was his the Marine One contingent, his, the plan was he was going to get in a helicopter and go fly to the cemetery, pay his respects, and fly back. Well, the people with Marine One, like his transportation detachment, canceled it because of the weather. They had a big rainstorm blow through and said it's not safe to fly. So Trump didn't even get to make the decision. They said, Mr. President, we can't fly right now. And, you know, John Bolton is no fan of Trump. John Bolton's John Bolton even went on record saying that's not what happened. John Bolton's biography, you know, he wrote a biography and it includes a, an excerpt about that day and it reinforces the rainstorm story. So you've got completely anonymous source, you know, these this long list of proven false claims from anonymous sources. And then even when things are on the record, like the Secretary of State call, they're gonna take things out of character out of context and mischaracterize them another story too like the russian bounty story you may have heard of that one supposedly that the russians were paying bounties for dead american soldiers that was another anonymous claim no one's ever asserted no one has ever verified that there's never been anyone there's yet to be any proof of that that was an anonymous claim like people just make this shit up and the media just runs with it as long as it's with their agenda um it's this really goes back to like the legitimacy crisis. That this is what we're dealing with is like these institutions that were expected, you know, they've never really truly been as reliable as we thought they were, but they've just completely taken the mask off of of being completely unreliable. And this is something that we've gotten not just in the media, but like with across the government, across these respect formerly respected institutions. They're they're discrediting themselves and we're we're dealing with a legitimacy crisis in america second thing that really happened the last few days is some of the weirdly partisan stuff we're starting to see from the military tucker made a comment last week um apparently the latest you know in the aa which is you know the national defense authorization bill um it, it dealt with um there was a part of it that dealt with like 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 women's um, like pregnant women like in combat like there's like there's part of it it was funding um like it basically loosened the scope that like pregnant women can do in like combat adjacent roles um like they were showing some of the stuff the like there's a maternity flight suit 
um, you know, it was he was talking about that all that sort of stuff. He's like, why are we sending like eight month pregnant women? Why are we letting them deal with like combat adjacent roles? Um, I mean, there, you know, I I've heard from my friends, especially like you know, like in the Navy, for example, there there's been issues like they've they've dealt with where they've had women come up pregnant before deployment. And they now have a billet that's unfilled because it's hard to find someone to fill that. And, you know, there, there's a lot of controversy and studies and discussion and debate all around that. And, I mean, I, I, from what I understand what Tucker's comments, um, the parts that I saw of at least, seem perfectly in balance. He's like, you know, why are we doing this? It's like, you have a woman that's like eight months pregnant. What, I mean, granted, there's probably something she could do, um, you know, in a support role or something. But, you know, they, they still have women like, flying aircraft um like apparently like of course pregnant women cannot fly ejection seated aircraft for obvious reasons i'm i'm sure like when they have the rockets shooting them out of the airplane and um all the g-forces that's probably not a good thing for a pregnant woman but there's a whole big debate around that and it's really interesting because apparently the bill loosened a lot of the roles women could take pregnant women could take so i mean i think that's a valid discussion a valid debate there's a lot of really snarky comments from from uh like military leadership um that i was really a little surprised to see and a lot of people were surprised to see um there was like a sergeant major of like the space forces made a really snarky video and um there was like one of the marine um expeditionary groups one of their public informa information officers like a colonel um you know he was he called him a boomer it was kind of hilarious because tucker's not a boomer but he was like get right or get left boomer and like you know showing the videos now I I don't think that the military has stayed perfectly quiet in these in these sorts of situations. I, I think if there's someone says something that's factually incorrect, in the past we've seen this where like a very senior officer they will make a very prepared statement trying to respond to something that someone said, um, trying to clarify factually what's correct and what is not. And it's usually in a non-confrontational manner. It's usually pretty narrowly addressing whatever particular thing is, is, isn't completely factual. But this was not like that. This was, you know, this was people like, like colonels and enlisted men um, from their blue check Twitter accounts basically engaging in Twitter shenanigans and being incredibly snarky and, direct, and directly attacking Tucker, um, which is something we really haven't seen before. Um, there's another thing that happened, like with Marjorie Tyler Greene. She made I, I I have not actually seen this statement that she made. Um, it's the media. They're I'm sure they're mischaracterizing it to some extent. Um, granted, at the same time, you know, Greene's not the sharpest knife in the in the in the drawer. So apparently, she said something like, um, you know, Guam is like. A foreign land or something you know it's an american territory people there are american citizens so there was some type of statement along those lines and the democratic delegate from guam rounded up some national guard some guam national guardsmen that were actually there um in dc as part of the security detachment and they marched them down to her offices knocked on the door had a big gift basket and you know, they actually filmed it. They had people filming there. The whole thing was incredibly choreographed. And it got released. It was published in a bunch of different outlets and kind of dunking on her. And, you know, that's... 
you know, a few, a few years ago, there was, I think it was John Conyers, um, made a comment about, you know, he asked an admiral, like, hey, if, um, if we keep putting troops on Guam, is Guam, is there any concern about Guam tipping over? Like, which is just like the pants on, which is probably honestly dumber than whatever the hell Green may have it, it, No, it's definitely is dumber than whatever Green said. Like, islands do not capsize. That's literally what he asked. And, like, the admiral did a very good job keeping a straight face. Um, you know, and actually treating it like a serious question and like being respectful towards him. Um, and yeah, you know, that sort of thing. Um, if I'd had some friends from Guam, like if I'd had some National Guard buddies from Guam or something after that, and if they were there, just hypothetically, and if they had gone down to his off that, that congressman's office with life preservers as a joke and like gave it to him as a gift, I would think it was a pretty good troll, I would have laughed at it, you know, but the difference here, and it's not so much what they did, it's who they did it with in the, in the, in the context of how they did it, um, like, if, if they had done that on their own, had just said, gone and knocked on the door and given her a gift basket, and had not filmed it, and had not been with a delegate from Guam, a, a politician, an elected partisan politician while they were doing it, then I, I would have been totally fine, I mean, I thought it would have been funny, and I, I, I you know, would have been totally fine with it. The fact that they did that and they were like part of a political backdrop and now granted you know it's it's a really blurry area because you know politicians try to use the military as a backdrop all the time but you know just partaking in something like that it, it's really very concerning and this is something um we saw this it kind of it kind of goes back into what we saw last summer um like i was never like there's there was part of that q theory thing where they're like the military is going to take over the government. They're going to reinstall Trump, and they're going to arrest all these traitors with the Democratic Party and the deep state, and take them to Guantanamo and like sentence them. And there was a bunch of stuff like that. And I like, you know, that should have been immediately laughed off. That was not serious at any point. Um, and all you had to do to know that was to actually pay attention to what happened last summer. If you remember, like right after the Floyd riot started. Um, the like the cops are turning and running cops are losing like it was all like we had the most destructive riots in american history um you know like they burning cities across the country um they burned the saint john's episcopal church which is right across from the white house um and that was the thing where you know trump walked across the street and posed in front of the building this this historical church next to the white house that had been torched like all the windows are boarded up there's flame marks all over the place and they actually the the chairman of the joint chief of staff general miley was with him and there was a lot of criticism targeted at miley just for walking with trump across the street to go look at the church because he was in uniform and he was part of the military and there was a lot of criticism directed at him for that um which in my opinion you know, that is like not even remotely close to what just just him walking to go look at what rioters have done in the Capitol next to the White House with the president shouldn't even be controversial. Um, you know, it's definitely not nearly as controversial as what has happened recently with the pushback against Tucker and the attacks on Tucker from, you know, currently serving military people in official positions. Um, it's definitely not any anywhere close to what happened, like with Marjorie Tyler Greene. Um but yeah, you know, Miley pinned this piece when Trump starts talking, because, you know, the, the, the governors aren't doing anything. Um, the 
police are running, they're losing control of the cities, and, and Trump was like, I'm, I'm going to use the Insurrection Act if no one's not going to start, you know, trying to shut this stuff down. And that's when a bunch of secretaries of defense, like former secretaries of defense, started writing, you know, those op-eds, like General Mattis is one of them, that basically attacked Trump, and they started talking about free speech. I'm like, this is not free speech. This is like, writing is not free speech. This is like people are being terrorized across this country. Um, Miley, you know, they actually released a statement that says, you know, we support free speech. We're here to protect Americans. Meanwhile, cities are burning. People are being terrorized. And they're, you know, no one was talking about the protests, talking about the riots that were happening. This is like right at the beginning of June. Um, so at that point, it was, it should have been apparently, it should have been wildly apparent to anyone who was paying attention that, I mean, it was literally the tone of what you were seeing. Um, it, it was, it basically the undertone undercurrent to me was like I was reading people like nearly threatening a coup if Trump actually tried to shut down these riots. That's how it, it read to me. And I'm like, there's no way in hell that you could see what was happening at that point and assume that these people are going to support Trump and that, you know, the Q theory stuff about the military is going to take over the government and fix everything and give us the country back. That was a complete pipe dream. Anyone who paid attention to what happened last summer how the military, you know, and refused, you know, the clear, like, when Trump started talking about, you know, invoking the Insurrection Act, putting down the massive destruction and violence across this country, how they just, they really, it was nothing less than insubordination, in my opinion. Um, so anyway, that, at that point, it was like, no, the military's not on our side at this point. At least the leadership is not. So what does all this mean? Well, one of the things I've talked about here, you know, and I mentioned this in, in previous episodes, I've talked about how, like, military and law enforcement tends to draw people that are, it's it's skewed Republican, skewed conservative, more right-leaning people. And I've used that in the context of talking about organizing and collective group effort. It's like, you know, I, I never have bought into the idea that, you know, we can't organize because we're super individualists when that's, in fact, not true. You can look at the military and law enforcement. It's like that's not an individualist endeavor Yet, you know, that's always been skewed more conservative. Well, I mean, how do you how do you explain this sort of stuff with my claims in the military is, is right-leaning? Well, yeah, it's true, but, you know, that's something you talk talk to folks that have been in the military. Um, a lot of them that have been around, they'll, they'll admit that once you get up to be like the general officer and stuff like that, they get it gets to be very much a swamp creature endeavor. Like, they tend to be extremely political, very globalist type of people. Because, um, you know, of course, at that level, it's 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 all about, there's a heavy political element as well. Um, I, I know I've talked before about um, Stanley McChrystal. I've, I've had some of his clips of him talking about the post-January 6th, um, talking about, the you know, why people are doing that. And he was basically talking about, you know, extremely woke. Like, this is the guy who, like, who criticized Obama and Biden a few years ago and lost a job over it. Now he's like super, super woke. Um, so it comes down to something, you know, we've talked about this legitimacy crisis. I mean, we have these people in the military, you know, like Miley and all these other folks that are very woke and they're they're definitely to the left. What is it? Like Stanley McChrystal's a Democrat. All these Wesley Clark's a Democrat. So many of these general officers come out to be like Democrats. So you have upper ranks of the military and law enforcement that are woke political creatures. And you have the rank and file that lean to the right. What does that pretend going forward? Well, 
there's a clue that, you know, I, I, I guess you could say, well, read this book. It's called Systemantics by John Gall. It's a really interesting book uh, about systems engineering. My systems, you know, it can be mechanical systems, but it also deals with, like, fungible systems, too, like organizations and corporations and, you know, anything where you're, like, dealing with, like, a complex system. It's uh, talking about you know, system failure mode, how to build a robust system, how to build, you know, any type of complex system that will last. Um, and he, he condenses a bunch of observations down to, you know, kind of his laws. He's got a list of rules and, and, and laws and principles to guide you. And he has a bunch of different case studies in there. It's not, I know it sounds like a very dry, boring book. It's actually very readable. It doesn't have any math in it. It's just a really good case studies and discussions. But there's something he talks about in there um, one of the rules that has always stuck with me, and it's it's basically it's his, the rule is system select for systems people, and the exact way he phrases it in there, the the corollary to it, the system attracts to it people who are optimized for the pathological environment the system creates. Well, what does that mean? That basically means that systems have a filtering function, like you know the military and law enforcement in particular they they have filtering functions like you know it's whatever when he talks about a pathological environment the system creates and people that are optimized to that tend to join it well that's a filtering system so let's talk about what sort of what this sort of means let me give one good example um kind of a controversial one let me let me use like pornography okay so your average person how many people do you think out there would have like pornography depends on people willing to have sex on camera for money to exist. How many people out there do you think would be willing to have sex on camera for money for as a career? Um, probably more than you think, but I personally still think less than a majority would be willing to do that. Like I know, for example, in case you're wondering at this point, I'm not one of them. Um, you know, I. I I've actually, you know, I used to go, I lived down the street from, if, if, if you've ever heard of kink.com, when I lived in San Francisco, I lived a few blocks from the Armory, which is their big production, was their big production headquarters thing, and I'd been to some of the upper floor parties they have, like on at the very top, it's really cool decorated thing, um, and they have some pretty wild parties there, and they do filming and stuff up there while they have the parties, and like, I had actually been approached while I was, you know, there one time, and had... It's like, hey, would you like to come, you know, shoot with us and, you know, make money this way? And I was like, interesting, thank you, I'm flattered, but I'm not, I'm not down for that, no. So, yeah, anyway, I, I'm not one of those people, but there are people out there that are. Now, to flip it the other way, how many people in the porn industry, how many porn performers do you think would be willing to have sex on camera for money? Well, it's 100%, because that's part of the job description. So that's an example of a system selecting for systems people. Um, if there's a certain things that are expected for the position, then you're going to filter for people that are only willing to do that thing. Now, let me use this to bring this back around to the context of military and law enforcement. How many people today do you think in the military and law enforcement would be willing to confiscate guns from civilians? Well, Probably more than we think, but also at the same time, I don't think all of them. Uh, I have friends in, in military and law enforcement, you know, especially in law enforcement, that says, you know what, I'm never going to confiscate guns if I'm ordered. I'll quit. I'll go find another job. And I believe them. 
but the thing is, if confiscating firearms becomes a job requirement of being a cop, then over time, then only people that are willing to confiscate firearms will become law enforcement. And that is, you know, one of that is the thing about system selecting for systems people, and that's what's so concerning about the wokeness that we see in the military getting worse over the last, you know, few years, but especially in the last six months or so. Because you're seeing right now systems selecting for systems people. Um, I still think that, you know, it probably skews conservative, but it's looking like I, I have people that say, you know what, I'm going to, like former military folks that I know, conservative folks, say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to tell my kids they're never, I, I'm going to urge them to never join the military because I don't want them in this. People that have retired recently, I've heard them say that. And that's really, you know, if it turns into a woke jobs program, the military and law enforcement, then you're going to get those sort of people. And it's going to be, you know, this thing that conservatives have always thought that, you know, the military and the cops are always going to be on, on our side. Well, that's not true. You know, it's it's I'm not convinced it's completely true right now. And it definitely won't be true going forward if, if these trends continue. This is another manifestation of the entryism tactic I talked about back in episode 8, I believe it was, about the, the Democratic Socialist America group, how they... You know, it was the Jacobin reading groups, and they entered the DSA and took it over, and then they've got 90,000 people, and they just recently took over the Nevada um, Democratic State Party. Um, that it's, it's a very entryism tactic. You put your people in a place, you put them in very influential positions, and you start selecting for your people, and before you know it, you know, you control the organization. And this is the conservative response to that, is usually like, we're going to go off somewhere else and make our own version of this but you can't keep doing that you know it's like lefties are running around killing an organization skinning it and wearing it like a skin suit and you know granted over time that destroys the organization but if you keep running away and building something and getting it taken over that's just not going to work you're, you're spending time spinning your wheels rebuilding from the ground up um you can't do that so we've got to learn how to, to respond to this and like of course we can't go off and form our own law enforcement military like it's the one that exists in the United States is is the one. Um, so that's really concerning, you know, and that's been one of the things people talk about, you know, if if the country goes to shit, at least, you know, the military or law enforcement is going to be on our side. Well, we, we can't really depend on that. Another thing, too, about that, if you if you saw the, the series, um, what was it, 15 years ago, The Band of Brothers, um, which is about the 101st Airborne guys um, through D-Day and the end of World War II, um, great series it was hbo really good series there was a scene in there um where captain well, major dick winters and captain sobel captain sobel used to be his former superior and then winners got promoted over him you know sobel tries to avoid seeing him so he doesn't have to salute his former subordinate and you know major winners says you know sobel he's you know we salute the rank not the man and it was a point about you know it's it's not the person themselves that we have to worry about it's it's the the office which is separate from the person the person feels the office where we interact you know we have to separate our feelings from the people from the position they hold well that's always been taken as you know a, a meaning that we're going to dislike people but they're in a they're in a, a, a legitimate position doing a legitimate, legitimate job and that's more important than our personal feelings. You know, we've we, we've always seen it that way. That's back when organizations and 
you know, so many of our institutions in the country were respectable and functional. And now that we're in this legitimacy crisis and these institutions are either collapsing, non-functional, or being turned to evil ends, you know, we, we need to start considering the corollary to that, which is good people can wind up in positions that, in organizations that are beginning to be fundamentally evil. And we're going to start coming to terms with what that means and what that's going to mean for us moving forward. You know, you can have, if a bad person can be in a respectable role, um, doing a good job, then that means good people can wind up doing terrible things because organization inertia pushes them in that direction. Um, that I, 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 some, like, I know really good, like my really good cop friends, and they talk about, they've done things that they hated and they wish they didn't have to do. They just had to do it because of the situation. Um, and that's something we have to come to terms with. That's something that a lot of people are going to have to come, especially if you're someone in that position, you're going to have to start coming to terms with how you're going to respond to that if things continue evolving to a place where, you know, you're going to find yourself facing a dilemma, like I'm going to have to do something immoral that's against my, you know, beliefs of what's right. And it's it's especially hard because if the people around you want to do that thing and your superior officers want to do that thing, um, like one thing I mentioned on the West Coast, a lot of times a lot of street cops, you know, they, they, they definitely are, they're not for Antifa for sure. You know, they've been folks that have, you know, been pro-MAGA, pro-Trump, pro-conservatives. But I'll tell you, you know, from experience, the a, a, a conservative cop running away from Antifa um, regretfully and hating it but following his orders looks exactly the same as a hard lefty cop who hates MAGA people and is running away and excited for those orders. They look exactly the, the same running away. And that's what, that's what we have to come to terms with. It's like, you know, ultimately... Whether or not you're a good person or a bad person or in a great position or a noble, respectable position or doing a bad thing or in a bad, bad, disreputable position or organization, you know, you are what you do and it matters. I mean, it doesn't matter what you tell yourself when you look in the mirror, you know, you are what you do and it matters. And that applies whether or not you're intrinsically good or bad. Um, that's something you have to come to terms with. You know, people are... You know, I saw this when I was undercover with Antifa. A lot of these people have, they see themselves as good people. You know, a lot of these people come from broken backgrounds. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sitting talking to these people and I'm eating cake with them. And, like, they are they have these therapy dogs. They come out there at the park before they go set the fucking police station on fire. And you can play with the dogs. And, like, they're super nice. And there's, like, a lot of feeling of solidarity. Um, and that's been something I think a lot of people have to come to terms with is that... A lot of the things that are happening, even some of the worst people out there, um, there's a lot of people that are really bad. Um, there's also a lot of people who are doing things that they think are good, um, or, or their beliefs are a perversion of intrinsically noble sentiments. So yeah, I mean, it, this is a complicated situation. Anyway, this is kind of got off a little bit there. But we have to start thinking, again, I'm going to wrap this up, but we have to start thinking about that, that, that last term there, system select for systems people. This applies to the military, this applies to journalism, this applies to law enforcement. System select for systems people. If a certain thing that we dislike um, becomes a prerequisite to doing that job, um, then it's only going to have people in that job 
that are willing to do that. Like if it's you have to be willing to arrest people for drug possession or arrest people for gun possession. If those are prerequisites, then the only people in those positions are people willing to do it. So I'm going to wrap this up. I'm going to give you a quick upcoming peek at some of the things I have happening. The My next Substack newsletter, I talked about this a couple days ago. I'm going to have one on the Grant Park attack. Um, last year, a mob of Antifa and other protesters um, had a surprise attack on the Columbus statue in, in Chicago's Grant Park. And I, I've done a breakdown of it in other like closed groups. I'm going to write a much longer detailed breakdown with photographs. And like the Chicago PD actually had multiple camera angles of the whole thing. And it's in, it was an incredibly sophisticated, organized attack. It put like 50 cops in the hospital. Um, I'm going to have that broken down for y'all. I'll have a breakdown with video and screenshots and drawing, you know, pictures of everything that happened. I'll have diagrams of what happened and how. Um, it's a really great peek into some a lot of concepts that I, I want to talk about moving forward. So that's going to be the one that's coming out tomorrow. Um, my next podcast, I'm going to sit down with Tech Bro Tito again. We're going to talk about status and aesthetics in terms of political beliefs. One thing a lot of people get hung up on is they talk about, you know, we, we all and we're all prone to this at times. You want to make the perfect logical argument to change the other person's mind. There are some people that are good at that. There are some people that are like, hey, that was a really great argument. You, you changed my mind. Not everyone is like that. There's a lot of people out there. Um, I, mean, I mean, to make that sort of argument and convince someone, that person usually has to be someone invested in that belief. Um, ironically, you know, you would not think that, but it's someone who's willing to actually think about the position. Um, for the, the status and aesthetics part of it, like there's a large number of people out there who hold a belief, not because they believe it or think it's true, but because it's a high status belief. You know, it's like a Veblen good, which is a Veblen good is an economic term for, um, there are some things that the, the same product as you, as while you, for increasing the price the desirability of this object increases, this commodity or whatever it is, the same thing at a higher price is more desirable because it's, you know, kind of an affectation. It's something people want to be like, or conspicuous consumption. You know, it's like, it becomes a status good. Um, and yeah, there's people who have beliefs because high status, high status people have those beliefs. Um, there's, you know, like, like celebrities or famous people believe a certain thing, or this is what, you know, if you live in the Bay Area, it's like Bay Area, cool Bay Area people have these certain XYZ beliefs. So I'm going to adopt XYZ beliefs. Um, it's almost like a class marker. Certain beliefs are class markers. And there's the, the aesthetics part of that as well. Like, is this something that, is this a belief cool people have? Or is this a, is this a belief that like gross cringe like people have? Like if you're like a, you know, if you're a hoity-toity like, you know, um, cosmopolitan type in a blue city, you know, are, are you going to avoid having certain beliefs because it gross flyover country people have those beliefs? But yeah, that's a big part. I'm going to really go over that with Tech Brew Tito, and that'll be the next podcast. Um, I have another conventional newsletter breaking down some current events. The last podcast of the week, I'm going to do this for the Contextual Insurgent Project, the season two. This will be another episode for season two. Uh, I'm going to talk about the business plot. 
um, I think it's very relevant to today. The business plot was something that happened um, in like the 1930s. Um, there was it never really got too far apparently, but once Roosevelt was elected um, in 19 November 1932, a bunch of businessmen were extremely angry about that, and they wanted to recruit some generals and um, overthrow Roosevelt and set up a military dictatorship. Um, a bunch of a lot of supposedly a lot there's it was originally assumed to be like a complete conspiracy theory and a hoax. This was it involved Smedley Butler, who's a famous Marine Corps general. Um, it was originally written off as like a conspiracy theory, a hoax. Like all the media people at the time completely dismissed it. There was an investigation. Turns out, well, there was a lot of it. You know, there's a lot of it going on, and they didn't they didn't find out everyone that was involved with it. It was there were some some businessmen behind it, but the, it apparently came out. A lot of those business people were like cutouts for someone else. And there's been some discussion and suspicion that like people like Prescott Bush, who's like George, President George H.W. Bush's dad and President George W. Bush's grandfather, um, was behind it. You know, he was one of the big people behind it. So that's really interesting because I think we we're, we like I keep saying that we we currently living we are currently living through successful business plot 2.0. Um, they were bragging about it in a Time Magazine piece a couple months like a month ago or so. Uh, all these corporations and you know, organized labor and all these other economic transnational global corporations came together to try to make sure Trump was pushed out of office. So I, you know, it's interesting looking back at American history because so much of it does rhyme. And I, I think it's, it'll be very intriguing to look at business plot 1.0 and then compare that to business plot 2.0. So that's where we stand today. Um, thank you for listening and I'll talk to you later. Bye.